Good morning. It's so good to be with you this morning. Today I want to speak to you about where is God when it hurts. We're going to be looking at Psalm 22, verses 1 to 5. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. When I was about 20 years old, my brother-in-law asked me the question whether I had any brothers or sisters. And so I answered him as I'd always answered that question, no, I'm a lonely child. And he said to me, you're a what? I said, no, I'm a lonely child. I don't have any brothers or sisters. And he said, you know, that's not the phrase, right? You know, the phrase is only child. I said, what? It's not lonely child. It's only child. I was like, you're joking me. I was like, for 20 years, people have been asking me this question. And for 20 years, I have been telling people that no, I don't have any brothers and sisters. I am a lonely child. And nobody questioned it. That was one of the questions I would ask my parents the most when I was growing up. Why don't I have a brother or sister? Followed by, why can't we have a dog? And why can't I stay up late? I feel like now it's revenge time as my daughter, Florrie, who's two and a half, daily bombards me and Andy with the question, why? Why, why, why? And I feel like as we get older, those why questions don't disappear. They just change. And we read in Psalm 22, it begins, my God, my God, why? I wonder if this is something you've ever said. God, why? I wonder if for most of us, maybe we expected life to be quite neat and tidy and to make sense. But I think often life can look a little bit like this. Messy, tangled threads, knots, short pieces we don't understand. And we can often find ourselves saying to God, why? God, why? I didn't grow up in a Christian family and um, I first started going to church when I was about 13 years old. I went because we used to get McDonald's afterwards, but I stayed because I had some deeper questions. I started to ask whether God is real, whether the Bible is true, why these Christians I'm meeting seem so different, and what if Jesus really did and said the things I was discovering? There was one moment when I was in this room in the church, I had this bright green floor, and it was in that moment I really experienced the presence of God like never before. It was as if God was this close to me. And I experienced his love and his peace, and in that green room, I said a very simple prayer, and I became a Christian. Just a few months later, when I was 14, my mum, who'd been battling with cancer, died. And suddenly the questions changed. I was now asking God, why? Why did the treatment not work? Why did she pass away? And life ever since has been full of why questions. I remember asking, why did Andy decide to date my best friend instead of me? I remember asking, why did I get fired from Pizza Hut? I do know the reason to that one, I think. But then over this last year, I feel like these why questions have grown and grown. 
A year ago now, my dad also got cancer and he also passed away. So these why questions came to the surface. God, why? Why cancer again? Why my dad? Why both parents? God, where are you in all of this? What has often been my greatest fear is that these questions would become so overwhelming that they would be the end of most things, the end of being able to keep on going, the end of being able to hope and dream, the end of being able to have faith and a relationship with God. But what I found is that actually these questions can become the beginning of something, the beginning of a deeper conversation with God, the beginning of a deeper relationship with him. These questions can become the soil in which a deeper faith and experience of God's love can grow. I think about if Florrie grew up and she never asked us why, the things that she wouldn't learn and wouldn't discover, the conversations we wouldn't have, the ways in which we wouldn't get to know each other. And I think the same is true with God. No doubt you have faced your own big why God questions maybe over a lifetime, but perhaps especially in this last year. Why COVID? Why that diagnosis? Why did that project fail? Why is that relationship so difficult? Why that disappointment? Why can't I seem to get free from these habits or these things in my past? Why is life so complicated? But if you have questions this morning, I want to encourage you, you're in good company. One of the most remarkable things about this psalm that we read isn't just that as part of the prayer book of the Bible, it teaches us that crying out to God, questioning and complaining are more than okay. They're actually part of what it means to pray. But one of the most remarkable things about this psalm is that it was prayed on the lips of Jesus, the Son of God himself. In his time of greatest need, of greatest crisis and of greatest suffering as he hung dying on the cross. In Matthew 27, verse 46, it says about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's on the cross, this psalm becomes Jesus' own cry of suffering his own why God moment. And I want to explore, what does it mean for Jesus to have cried this? What does it teach us about what we can do with our questions in our times of crisis and hurt? Where is God in all of this? I think the first thing that this teaches us is that you can be honest with God. If King David, the author of this psalm, one of the greatest leaders of Israel, an amazing man of faith, and then Jesus Christ himself can be this honest with God, then so can you. But sometimes, I don't know about you, but being honest can feel a little bit scary. I remember early on when Andy eventually decided to date me, we were at that stage in our relationship where we were really trying to show our best side and to build trust and to kind of, you know, impress one another. 
And we'd often travel in the car together and have the music on. And I don't know about you, but when a good song comes on, I can't help it. I go full karaoke. I'm like air grabbing. I'm singing at the top of my lungs. It doesn't matter who is around me. And I would always do this with Andy. And then one day we were in the car and... As you know, Andy sometimes leads worship here. Like, he's got an all right voice. Like, let's not over-egg it. And he was talking a little bit about some singing coaching. And I thought, oh, here's a moment. Um, Andy, what do you think about my voice? Thinking, here's a great opportunity for a relationship-building compliment. Problem is, I made the mistake of saying, please, be honest. To which he misinterpreted as me actually wanting him to be honest. So he proceeds to say, yeah, Rachel, you can't really sing. I said, what do you mean? He's like, you often get out of tune, you change key halfway through. I tell you, if we had not been going 60 miles an hour, I'd have been out of that door, slamming it shut, and it might have been the end of what was a short-lived relationship. Fortunately, he had an hour to dig his way out of that conversation. And um, still to this day, though, 12 years later, I do not sing in the car in front of Andy, and I do not let him live that comment down. Poor guy. Now, there are times when it's good to be wise, to choose your words and your moments carefully. But when it comes to the deeper things of life, when it comes to the things of the heart, honesty is essential. It's essential for building relationships and trust. It's essential to be honest with ourselves. But it's also so important to be honest with God. Psychologists talk about denial, suppression, and repression, none of which are good for our emotional health. And yet, how easy is it for that to become the norm? Well, we don't truly acknowledge how we're feeling. We don't really acknowledge what's going on for us. I think about my dad who went to boarding school at a young age and the way he learned to deal with his emotions. And his dad before that, who fought in brutal wars, came back and was not the same person and yet never spoke about it. I think how easy it is for me, for my default, to be to bury how I'm feeling and to crack on. The problem is whatever we bury will grow. Jesus throughout his life modeled an authentic relationship with God in which he was honest. If you think back to the time when his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded, he takes time out to rest, to retreat, and to grieve. When his friend Lazarus dies, it says that he wept. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he knows that the cross is approaching, he cries out to God, feeling overwhelmed, saying, God, would you take this cup from me, but not my will be done, yours. And then here on the cross, Jesus isn't found to have a stiff upper lip. He's not on the cross saying, it's fine, it's fine. And he's not on the cross saying, the cross doesn't hurt, the cross doesn't hurt. Rather, Jesus is on the cross, crying out to God, my God, my God, where are you? Why do you feel so far away from helping me? God can handle our questions. He can handle our emotions, our problems, our struggles, and our disappointments. He is not overwhelmed by them, even when we are. So firstly, Jesus teaches us that you can be honest with God. But secondly, he teaches us that God is always listening. 
Even this cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? In the middle of that is faith. Because you don't cry out to someone who you know is not there. Jesus is saying, God, I know you feel far away in this moment, and yet I know you're here and I know you're listening. When we continue to read this psalm that Jesus prays, we realise it's not as simple as just a complaint and just questioning, but it's mingled with faith and trust. Verse three to five said, yet you were enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they put their trust and were not put to shame. Faith doesn't mean denying the reality of our situation. It just means acknowledging the reality of who God continues to be in the midst of it. This psalm continues to declare a trust in God, even in suffering. See, sometimes the presence of faith isn't just found in passion and energy and optimism. Sometimes the presence of faith is equally found in the quiet decision to carry on trusting God, even when everything is telling you to give up and to give in. Sometimes faith can be found in the quiet decision to keep the conversation with God going, to keep praying even when we don't know what words to say. In this last year, as I wrestled with these why questions, why God did that happen to my dad? Why does this hurt so much? I found finding a time and a place each day to go and be honest and to know that God listens has changed everything. I'd speak to my dad most evenings on the phone whilst walking. And so in that time, instead, I started to take the dog and walk the same route each day, trying to avoid people and taking that time to just be honest and to know that God is listening. And it's in that space each day of many months that it's like God has been able to speak. That I've been able to know, even though I don't understand all that's going on, to discover again that he is faithful, that he is good, that he is with us. It's in prayer that we discover where God is when it hurts. That he's with us, that he's listening, and that he is still faithful. And when we pray, honestly, knowing that God is listening, it opens our hearts up to the possibility of something else. The possibility that even when everything out there doesn't seem to be changing, that everything in here can change. So I want to encourage you. What's your time? What's your place? Maybe it's a chair. Maybe it's a route you can walk. But where's that place where you can be honest with God and know that he hears because he cares about everything that is going on your life, from the smallest detail to the most overwhelming problem. He cares. And he cares about your neighborhood, he cares about our society, he cares about this world, and he is always listening. Finally, we discover that Jesus teaches us that God is always up to something. So often when I talk to my friends and 
will maybe be talking about God, they'll say one of the reasons they really struggle to believe in God and God being good and loving is because of the suffering that they see in the world. I think of all things, it's surely death that feels like the epitome of that. It's something that affects everyone and has a final word on everything. And yet this is the thing that Jesus went to the cross to defeat, death itself. It's on the cross we realize that Jesus doesn't just understand our questions. He doesn't just empathize with our suffering, but he came to do something about it. Jesus didn't just pray Psalm 22 on the cross, but he fulfilled it some 600 years after it was written. On the cross, Jesus experienced the separation from God that our sin created. He experienced that sense of abandonment so that we would never have to. He experienced this suffering so that he himself could become the answer to our suffering. His cry of Jesus, God, why won't you come help me? God would answer three days later by raising Jesus from the dead and in doing so, defeating death itself. It's through Jesus' resurrection that we realise what looked to be the absence of God, what looked to be just sheer suffering and pain and injustice, what looked like proof that God isn't real or God doesn't care, actually became the place where God was bringing about a saving action for you and for me and for the world. It's on the cross that Jesus was creating a future for us that was otherwise impossible. The possibility to know God, to have a deep relationship with him. The possibility of a tomorrow beyond suffering, beyond pain and beyond the mistakes of today. And if we go back to this picture, I feel like often all we see is the mess. All we see are the knots and the threads and the bits cut short. And it doesn't make much sense to us. But just like the cross, in what looked to be the most hopeless situation, actually we discover that God was weaving something together in the mess, something so profound and so beautiful, bringing hope for all of humanity. And because of this, the same can be true in our lives. The cross reminds us that God is able to weave even the mess, even the pain into something beautiful. There's another side to our story. There's another side that God is writing in your life that one day might begin to make more sense. Sometimes the big things we face in life, be it the loss of a loved one, be it the end of a career, be it deep disappointment or struggling habits or things that we feel we can't let go of, we think those are going to be the things that define our lives. But choosing to trust God can wreak more havoc in your life than anything that could go on around you or in you. As I look back on my life, I discover it's actually that small decision to choose Jesus, to choose to trust him in that green room as a 13-year-old that has wreaked far more havoc with my life than any event or circumstance or loss. I don't quite know what picture God is weaving with my mess yet. Maybe it is some nice fuchsias, I don't know. But I know that God is a good artist. He's a master weaver and we can trust him.
And the same is true for you. What maybe felt like there was only sadness can now maybe mingled with joy and hope and peace. Whatever you've gone through, whatever pain, hurt, whatever struggles, whatever battles, these don't need to be the things that define you. Rather, this simple decision to choose to trust Jesus can shape your life in ways you never thought possible. So where is God when it hurts? He's with you. He's listening. And he's weaving something with your life and in this world that is far more beautiful than we could ever imagine.